sometimes when I'm speaking to you guys on Sunday mornings here, um, I'm letting you know I did last week, you know, I stood out last week, we were talking about the tongue and I started out saying, look, I haven't mastered my tongue. Now, you're not going to hear me say today that I have mastered this, but I finally get to talk to you about an area that's somewhat of a strength in my life. Isn't that good news? Hey, I can't believe it. I'm telling you about something that I'm not so bad at. I haven't always been good at it. Um, I, I, I remember when I was a kid, you know, like you, you do, you see photos of me as a little kid and I'm really, really focused, you know. But even though I was focused, I didn't have the longest attention span in the world. So I'd often sort of start something and then not finish it. But somehow that grew right out of my life in my teenage years. And so now, especially, you know, from my, from my late teens, early 20s onwards, one word that you would not use to describe Jeff Shepard is that he is a quitter. I don't quit. I'm a stayer. So once I take something on, I am almost certain to finish it. And I'm not trying to tell you to boast, but... We've all got things we're good at, aren't we? haven't we? Hey, well, this is one like I'm just like I I don't even if it's a book, and I start I read a lot of books, yeah, um, and I start reading some books and it's like, oh man, this is not that good. But you have to finish the book. Like, I, who here finishes books? Who, who here starts reading a book and doesn't like it and they stop reading it? Yeah, see, you guys have all got short attention spans. You've got to listen this morning, all right? I stick with stuff. And I love the fact that I've been serving at this church now. I've been here for nearly 14 years. And if I get my way, and you might be thinking, not if I get my way, but if I get my way, I'll be here for another 14 years, and then I'll probably be here for another 14 years after that. That's what I want to do. <laughs> Some of you are clapping and some others <laughs> thinking, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. You see, I, all jokes aside, I value, I really highly value, really highly value the idea of sticking around, of staying in it for the long haul, of just keeping on, no matter what. You may have heard that phrase that Friedrich Nietzsche actually coined the phrase, atheist man. But he said that there is and there always has been. Someone's phone's ringing. Just answer, that's all right. Is it, should we identify whose it is? <laughs> Hello, Sonia Borg speaking. Oh, it's not. <laughs> um, sorry, too embarrassed, Sonia. He, he, he coined the phrase, a long obedience in the same direction. And that, that grabs my heart. Even if it's tough as nails, even if the goalposts get moved by someone or something else, or even if there are setbacks and knockbacks, and knockbacks hindrances, hurdles, like this, 
like this awesome young lady. Watch her. Just keep on and keep on going. I wanted to ask you this morning, do you stick around? Do you stay on the path? See, we live in a generation that's fairly mobile. Um, So we're on the move, us people, we're on the move. We're changing from one thing to another regularly and routinely, aren't we? So come on, let's be honest this morning. Um, you don't have to put your hand up, but uh, who's got a short attention span here? <laughs> You're all joking, but what about in the big ones? You know, One of the ways, not the only way, one of the ways that, primary ways that stickability shows, in my opinion, is in churches. Do you stay around the same church? Or are you often on the move? I'm thinking of Chris and Lisa. It's not their real names, but... Over the time that I've known them, I have lost count the amount of churches that they've been to. It's a really familiar pattern with them. They turn up at a new church and it's all guns blazing. They love it. They always love it when they first get there. It's the best church ever. They love the pastor too. And they roll out real soon and they're really keen. They're signed up. They want to serve and help. And it all lasts. It usually lasts about six months. And that's when it starts to slow up. To begin with, there's just this little drop and then often, often then it becomes a sudden drop in enthusiasm. And before long now, they're starting to see holes in the church that they just loved. The pastor is a bit off-center, they say. In fact, sometimes his teaching from the Bible is wrong. The worship is too long, or maybe sometimes they say it's too short. Sometimes they say it's too loud. Other times they say it's not loud enough. Whatever it is, long story short, though, within a few more months, they're gone from that church. It's a real life story. And then the cycle starts all over again. And I have seen it happen so many times now that it's not even hard for me to tell you the story. They've been doing it ever since I knew them. Happens again and again and again and again. Happened for as long as I've known them. Hey, what about you? Like, whether it's church, wherever it is, are you a stayer? Do you flit from thing to thing? 
from place to place, house to house, job to job. Do you get a little bit distracted? Start out on the course and get a bit distracted or waylaid. You've got the best of intentions to begin with, but then you get derailed. Is that you? We do, don't we? We live in a generation that's fairly mobile. So we're on the move and changing from one thing to another just regularly and routinely. Well, I wanted to ask you this morning, here's a question for you. Is that how true character is shown? What do you reckon? I mean, this morning, and it is the last of our 12 Sunday mornings here in the book of Colossians, book in our Bibles called Colossians. That's one thing you could ask Paul, the guy who wrote it. It actually started out as a letter that Paul wrote from his house arrest in Rome. Remember the map? Okay, modern day Rome and Italy up here, and then Colossae, which is in modern day sort of southwest Turkey. And so Paul's under house arrest in Rome, and he's writing this letter. It's a long way away to Colossae. He's writing the letter to the church there. You could ask him. You could take a look at Paul's life if, you, if you're one of those people. If, if you're one of those people who's a bit mobile and flighty and on the move, and if you promise lots but you don't deliver too much, if really your yes is not a wholesale reliable yes, if you can't really truly be relied upon to do what you said you'd do, to stay the course, to stick it out when things get tough, you could ask Paul, because here he is, he's on trial for his life in Rome, and even though he's never been to Colossae, he knows the pastor of the church there. And the update that he's just had from Pastor Epaphras, that's his name, is that even though the church is there in Colossae, and it got started well, and people, people are good there. They've grown and they've matured in Jesus. Well, now there are some teachers who've been circulating amongst the church there. And they're not just teachers, they're actually false teachers. Because they're saying, they're teaching these people that Jesus, listen carefully to what they're teaching, they're teaching that Jesus by himself, so just Jesus, just the forgiveness of Jesus, just the grace of Jesus, just the provision, the wisdom of Jesus, that Jesus, these false teachers are saying, you know, hey, hey, friends, be careful because Jesus all by himself is not enough. You need a bit more than Jesus, so you need to get, remember, we've seen it, you need to get mysticism, so you've got to try and, you know, get out there and find greater spiritual experience out there in the universe. You've got to find that. And, and, and legalism, you've got, to, you've got to follow all the rules and regulations, you've got to list them off one by one by one by one by one, and you've got to do them all. And you've got to beat yourself up every time you don't do them all. And asceticism, you've got, to, you've got to strictly discipline and deny your body, make your body your prisoner. And if you do all these things, if you do, if you do all these religious things, then Jesus, who's good, 
well then him plus all that will be good enough maybe to get you into heaven. So Paul is writing, he's written this letter that we've been looking at for the last 12 Sunday mornings to tell the Colossian Christians that Jesus is more than enough. Jesus is more than enough. Um, right at the end of the letter, that's who we're up to this morning, that's when, that's when Paul does his greeting. It's customary in Paul's day, to, you always close off a letter with personal greetings. We don't write many letters these days. Um, we just tap out a quick email or a text. But letters were the only form of communication in these days other than person-to-person communication. No phones, no texts, no emails, no computers. (laughs) Letters. Customary to sign off with your greetings. Paul's not just a preacher and a teacher, you know, like he's a friend maker too. Do you know that there are more than 100 Christians in in the book of Acts in the Bible and then in in the letters that are written by Paul in the New Testament of our Bibles, there are more than 100 Christians in there that are associated with Paul. Like he's a well-connected guy. Something like, is Pauline Longley in church this morning? She is. Something like Pauline Longley is in the Baptist Union. Ever been to a Baptist Union function? Everyone in the Baptist Union of Victoria knows Pauline Longley. (laughs) And Pauline Longley knows everyone in the Baptist Union of Victoria too. Um, She's just like, she's well-connected, well-networked. If you just read this list of names, it might not stand out much. Grab your Bible out. It might not stand out much because, trust me though, because we're going we're gonna, to, just for a few minutes, we're going to go behind the scenes this morning. We're going to get a look under the bonnet because Paul mentions six people. Three of them are Jews, three of them are Gentiles. Remember, Gentiles are people who are not Jewish. Read the last part of the letter with me. It's in chapter 4, verses 10 to 18 got the names listed in yellow Aristarchus and by the way if you want to use these names oh Ramez and Chantel went out to kids church they're, they're pregnant they're gonna have a baby Phil and Priscilla I don't think they're here this morning if you have babies like you can recommend this as a name Aristarchus you can just hear the mum yelling out can't you Aristarchus like Aristarchus Anyway, Aristarchus, who is in prison with me, sends you his greetings. And so does Mark, Barnabas' cousin. And as you are instructed before, make Mark welcome if he comes your way. Jesus, he's the one that we call justice. I met a guy called Jesus not so long back, Spanish guy. His name's Jesus. <laughs> My, he wasn't, wasn't far off getting married. And my friend was going to conduct the wedding for him. I say, mate, you're going to be able to say you married Jesus after that. Like imagine having the name Jesus, a very popular name in this day. Jesus, the one we call justice, also sends his greetings. These are the only Jewish Christians among my co-workers. They are working with me here for the kingdom of God. And what a comfort they have been. 
Epaphras from your city, a servant of Christ Jesus, he sends you his greetings as well. So Epaphras may be still there with him. He always prays earnestly for you, asking God to make you strong and perfect, fully confident of the whole will of God. I can assure you that he has agonized for you and also for the Christians in Laodicea and, and Hierapolis. Now, see here, I just, just, just to... So you know, when he talks about Laodicea and Hierapolis, this is a biblical, biblical times map, okay? So remember, Paul's up here in Rome. Here's Colossae over here. And then if you break that version, that, 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 that little that, um, region down, this is, this is it here. And so Laodicea and Hierapolis, these three towns, cities, areas, right nearby each other. You can see that's within a fairly short distance. All right, so that's when he's talking about those verses. Now, keep going. Dear Dr. Luke sends his greetings, and so does Demas. Please give my greetings to our Christian brothers and sisters at Laodicea, and to Nympha, and those who meet in her house. After you've read this letter, pass it on to the church at Laodicea so they can read it too. And you should read the letter I wrote to them. And say to Archippus, be sure to carry out the word the Lord, the, the work the Lord gave you. Here is my greeting in my own handwriting, Paul. Remember my chains. May the grace of God be with you. Okay, there's there's three different groups of people here, um, in amongst these six men. Don't be put off this morning by the fact that they're all men. Um, they're just the ones that Paul's naming. And they're his closest associates. Remember, we're, we're living at this time in a patriarchal world. So there's nothing at all to be read into the fact that there are only men this morning. In fact, it's, it's, it's irrelevant. Men and women still fit these categories today. Hey, take a look at them with me. There's, firstly, the ones who stayed. The ones who stayed round, who stayed the course, who hung in, who could be relied upon even when the going got unimaginably tough. Are you one of those people? Aristarchus. Aristarchus! He's in prison with me, Paul says. Best we know Aristarchus wasn't an official Roman prisoner like Paul was. He'd chosen instead to stay with Paul in his house arrest. He'd shared Paul's imprisonment with him so he could be a help and a comfort to him. In other words, he's a voluntary prisoner for the sake of Paul, for the sake of Jesus Christ, and for the sake of the good news. Now, you do a bit of fishing around, and here's the truth. Aristarchus actually stands out as one of Paul's greatest, most loyal and abiding friends and helpers. He's from Macedonia. He'd traveled with Paul, and we've got more than one story in other places in the Bible of him standing shoulder to shoulder with Paul in the midst of riots and storms and shipwrecks. He's one of the good guys, and there's no other way to describe him. He didn't look for an easy task. This guy's not thinking what's easy for me. He doesn't fold when the pressure's on. He doesn't run away when the heat gets turned up. He suffers and he labors with Paul. You know, just maybe this week, week before, I, I had a friend send me this verse. And um, then he told me, Jeff, this is what you're like to me. 
it really moved me. It said, friends come and friends go, but a true friend sticks by you like family. I'm thinking of our friends, Devin and my friends, Tim and Gwenda, such gold-class people, they'd be horrified now if they knew that, you know, like not because not, not of privacy, but just they don't want to be mentioned publicly because they're nothing, they're nothing special, these people. They're just normal, normal retired people. They were at our last church, though, and I just knew, I knew, I knew, I knew that no matter what we ever went through, and some of you know we went through a tough time at the church, we knew they would be standing with Deb and me. And they were, and they are. They lost other friends through it all. They moved on from the church that they had been in since they were kids. But they stuck by me like Aristarchus did with Paul. He mentions Mark as well. His, his, his real name in the Bible that we see in other places is John Mark, cousin of Barnabas. In the years, you know, not so long before this letter, Paul and Barnabas, if you read in the book of Acts, um, Paul goes on three missionary journeys. The first missionary journey that he went on, he actually went with Barnabas and they took John Mark with them on the trip. We don't know exactly what it was that happened, but what we do know is that John Mark quit. He left them and went home to Jerusalem halfway through the trip. And later on then, you know, so that happens, that happens, and then, and then down the track, and they're going to go now on their second missionary journey. It's Paul's secondary mission journey. Barnabas is going to go with him. And, and you can read about it in the book of Acts. They have such a sharp disagreement. They have a blow-up argument. Because Paul says, I'm not taking John Mark with me on another trip. He let us down once, we're not taking him in again. Barnabas saying, no, let, let him come, let him come. It's okay. No, no, no. And, and they cannot agree, so they part ways. And Paul goes off on the missionary journey by himself, not with Barnabas and not with John Mark. Somehow, though, what we know is that over the course of time, because now here in Colossians, Paul passes on greetings. And then if you go forward a few more years into the book of 2 Timothy, this is when Paul is just about to die. He's at the very end of his time. Look at this. He says, only Luke is with me. Bring Mark with you when you come for he will be helpful to me. John Mark's one of the ones who stayed, but it was after he'd failed. Comes back and he stays. Got back in the saddle. Proved himself faithful. Is that what you got to do? To be a stayer? Yeah, you failed. You fell off the wagon. You got to get back on though. And stay. Another one, Jesus Justice, Jewish believer. We know that he's a Jewish believer who served with Paul. But apart from that, we know nothing about this guy. Fellow worker and comfort to Paul, that's what we do know. But he really challenges me. He, he, he really challenged me this week looking at this because he's in the background, he's under the radar. But he's as faithful as the day is long. Maybe a bit like one of my best ever friends, Chris. You know, these last few years, no one, no one has been as faithful and long-suffering and patient with me as he has. In the darkest parts of my journey, he would call me at least once, if not three, four, five times in a day. 
Um, he, he's Chris. Chris, I, I think my kids are sick of me saying this. I think he's the funniest guy I've ever met in my life. Like he's hilarious, but he's also a really, really genuine, serious disciple of Jesus. Um, he's he's a he's an incredibly busy pastor. Lots and lots of people on his time. Like he's one of these guys. He's very, very wise. Very. He's prophetic the way that he speaks to people. He's amazingly insightful and he calls a spade a spade. So he calls a spade a shovel. Um, lots of people want this guy's time, but he calls me, and even, even now, like even now, like I talk to him most days. Um, and there was a time, there were plenty of times when I said to him, hey mate, uh, it's not lost on me what's going on here. I said a lot of the time when someone's in so much need like I am at the moment, they just soak up like a sponge everything that people give to them and, and, and they, just, they just don't even realise how much of a burden. I said, oh, mate, I realise what I'm doing to you. And he calls me Jeffrey. Jeffrey, that's, that's right. You know, and I said, mate, I'm <laughs> one day you'll run out of patience with me and, 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 and then we'll be done, you know? And he says, Jeffrey, that'll never happen. That'll never happen. One more who stayed is Luke, Dr. Luke. Long obedience in the same direction. He's a physician, very important man in the early church, dearly loved by Paul. Luke stayed with Paul right to the end. He's a glowing example of a professional man who uses his skills in serving God and then gives himself to go wherever God wants him to go. They're the ones who stayed. Do you know, friends, um, here's the truth. True character, true character only shows over the long haul. Over the long haul. Now, I want you to look at this. Um, here's... Uh-oh. What's going on there? <laughs> that, was, that was inspiring, wasn't it? We're going to look at someone else. Um, my, my brothers, a couple of my brothers, um, in 2015, you're going to see this, they crossed Bass Strait. They went from Wilson's Promontory to Victoria uh, in kayaks. Five of them. Um, just check this out and bear in mind that there's a day in there and we see part of the footage on the day. Like this makes the hair on the back of my neck stand on it. There's a day in there where they, because you have to, like there's little islands across the way and you have to wait for, you have to take us about three weeks to do it because you have to wait for the right weather patterns before you can leave for the day. But on their longest day, they left whatever island it was at three o'clock in the morning and they paddled in their kayaks to the next island and they got there at eight o'clock that night. And 17 hours in the saddle. Watch this.
get the idea, don't you? Thank you, Carolyn. Thank you so much. You get the idea. There are 170,000 paddle strokes. Can you imagine sitting in a kayak for 17 hours in the middle of Bass Strait? Hey, how's your true character? Would you be... Would you be described, if Paul was writing his letter, would he describe you as one, you know, who stayed with him? He stayed. Well, it's not just the ones who stayed, there's the one who prayed. This is Epiphras. And one of the secrets of this legend was his prayer. Do you know, like, do you know someone who prays? Do you know someone who, you'll know someone like this, when they say, hey, I'm praying for you, or I've been praying for you, or I will pray for you, you think, I can bank that. I know they have been, I know they are, I know they will. Look at Epiphras. He prayed, if you look in verses 12 and 13, then he prayed constantly. It said he always prays. Not just when he felt like it. Not only when he had energy for it. Consistent, constant, faithful. You have that, 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 that experience, that sensation. I do. Um, especially for me, if it's, if it's early in the morning and I'm in the car driving and going somewhere and I'm... I'm just like, I just want to be brain dead. Like, I just want to, I just want to, I just want to relax. I just want to think of nothing. And I'm thinking, hey, I could be praying. Um, he prayed fervently. It said he prays earnestly. The Greek language there literally means that he was laboring fervently. More so, he was actually agonizing it was it was a term that was originally used for athletes who were straining every bone in their body every nerve in their body to win the race agonizing he put just as much effort into his prayer as you would put in to win that race is that how we describe your prayer he prayed personally he said he he keeps he's always praying for you people by now hey do you do that and he prayed specifically, it said there, asking God to make you strong and perfect. And then it says, fully confident in the whole will of God. You know, like, I love that phrase. Got that this week. Um, like I texted some people this morning. I, this is what I'm praying for you. Awesome. He knew what he was asking for. And it was not. We, we talked about these prayers last week. It wasn't, you know, that, that monotone, boring, Lord, just... Bless the Joneses this week. No offense if your name is Jones. Um, Lord, just bless them. Lord, would you be with Deb and the kids? Like, be with them. No offense. Don't take offense. But why on earth would you ever, ever pray that God would be with someone? Like, can anyone explain why would we say that? Like, if we don't ask him, he won't be with them. He promised. Like, if they know him, he said, never, ever, ever will I leave you or forsake you. 
So why would you even say, Lord, be with them? Like, you, you might say, Lord, would you please help them to know that you're with them today? Um, but like this specific prayers. He prayed sacrificially. It says there he's agonized for you. It is costing him big time. Did you do that? This week, you know, there are those of you in here that I've prayed for this week, and I know that there are people who've prayed for me too. There's, there's someone here um, that I've been praying for this week, and, and it's been hard because I'm feeling your situation. So it's like it's impacting on me. Begging God to strengthen you in it. You see, Paul has great conflict or much distress. That's what the Greek language means. Sorry, Epiphras has it. Because praying that costs nothing, accomplishes nothing. Epiphras is the one who prayed. And then, you know, with that, read, I read this this morning. Let me just read this to you. It's a little story, eh? Concentrate with me because it's not going to be up on the screen. Just got it this morning. An old woman with a, a, a halo and halo of silvered hair, the hot tears flowing down her furrowed cheeks, her worn hands busy over a washboard in a room of poverty, praying for her son John. John who ran away from home in his teens to become a sailor. John of whom it was now reported that he had become a very wicked man. So she's praying, praying always that her son might be somehow of service to God. What a marvellous subject for an artist's brush. The mother believed in two things, the power of prayer and the reformation of her son. So while she scrubbed, she continued to pray. God answered the prayer by working a miracle in the heart of her son, John Newton. The black stains of sin were washed white in the blood of the lamb. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. The washtub prayers were heard, as are all prayers when asked in his name. John Newton, the drunken sailor, became John Newton, the sailor preacher. Among the thousands of men and women he brought to Christ was Thomas Scott, cultured, selfish, and self-satisfied. Because of the washtub prayers, another miracle was worked. Thomas Scott used both his pen and voice to lead thousands of unbelieving hearts to Christ. Among them, a dyspeptic, melancholic young man, William Cowper by name. He too was washed by the cleansing blood, and in a moment of inspiration, he wrote that, do you know that, that hymn, there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. And this song has brought countless thousands to the man who died on Calvary. Among those thousands was William Wilberforce, who became a great Christian statesman and unfastened the shackles from the feet of thousands of British slaves. Among those whom he led to the Lord was Lee Richmond, a clergyman of the established church in one of the Channel Islands. He wrote a book called The Dairy Man's Daughter, which was translated into 40 languages and with the intensity of leaping flame burned the love of Christ into the hearts of thousands. All of this resulted because some mother took God at his word and prayed that her son's heart might become as white as the soap suds in the wash tub in front of her. You praying? True character shows only over the long haul. It's not flash in the pan. Hey, and finally, the one who strayed, this is Demas. The guy's mentioned three times in Paul's letters. The first time he's just called Demas my fellow labourer. That's in the book of Philemon. And then here in Colossians, he's just... Demas, yeah, all right, and then a few years later now, 
Um, just down the track, when Paul was not far from dying, here's how he's described by Paul. Look at this. Demas has deserted me. Demas has deserted me because he loves the things of this life and he's gone to Thessalonica. You know, I'm really confident that it killed Paul. Absolutely gutted him when Demas left him. Because I felt that too. All sorts of excuses, all sorts of explanations. Some of them, like, like really, really sophisticated explanations. Theologically sophisticated. But at the end of the day, people who are deserting. Remember Jesus' story? He told a story about a farmer, and the farmer goes out to scatter seed, and, and he, he says, you know, some of the seed, he throws it out, and it falls on a, a footpath. And it doesn't last longer than a few minutes because people come walking along the footpath, and they walk on it, and then the birds come and take it, so that the seed just doesn't last. Nothing happens to it. And, and, and some then, you know, he, he, he throws it out, and it falls, but it's shallow soil. And so it actually starts growing. It shoots up. But it doesn't last all that long because there's no moisture and there's no depth in the soil. And then he talks about some seed that fell on good soil. Good soil. And it starts growing, but as it grows, thorns grow up in the same area. And he says that the thorns choked the plants. And then when Jesus explained that story to his friends later, here's that, friends, this is a bone-chilling, Demas-like way he put it. He said, the thorny ground represents those who hear and accept the message. But all too quickly, the message is crowded out by the cares and riches and pleasures other versions say the cares and worries of this world, of this life. You know what that feels like. And so they never grow into maturity. Friends, I'll, I wasn't around in Demas's time. But I've, I've seen that happen more times than I ever want to remember. I can think of I can think of several people, several families, several couples who I know at the moment, you probably can too, and I'm obviously not going to name them and, and some of them are not from this church. That's exactly, like that's precisely what I see happening in their lives. Breaks my heart. Like if, if I weep and cry over anything, that's it. 
It's these good plants that start growing. And then you just get yourself or you get gotten into whatever the situation is. Unhealthy relationships, ambitious work patterns, tight finances. understandable but wrong responses to the hurts and worries of life you know when you get resentful and the cares and worries of this life like I can see it happening before my very eyes it's choking it it's choking Jesus out of the life and if that's what's happening with you you know what um, if that doesn't get arrested and turned around you will desert you will desert and Paul will be talking about you as Demas who has deserted me he's too busy with the things of this life he's gone off to Thessalonica not here anymore ones who stayed the one who prayed the one who strayed true character friends it shows over the long haul as yours eh let's pray together please Jesus please 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 singing this morning to finish our time together friends we're going to worship together after we're done with, with that you know yeah we all love this time you go get tea and coffee and talk to people and give them a pat on the back and, and you probably want to talk about fun things and that's good nothing wrong with that let's do it we want to ask a little deeper than that this morning is there something in you that the Spirit of God's put His finger on this morning. Are you a stayer? Are you a prayer? And if you're not, He's, he's right here right now. Arms open. Nothing but love for you. Nothing but grace. so that you can say, yep, I'm going to stick my shoulder to the wheel and it's, it's, it's like I'm going to paddle across Bass Strait. I don't know how I'm going to paddle 170,000 strokes, but I'll tell you what, um, I'll start by paddling one now. Yep, so this morning, um, Holy Spirit, would you please work in us this morning? Every heart here that's touched and that needs to be touched, Please help us now. We're going to just find someone or one of our pastors or 
elders or someone that we came with, someone that we're here with, find someone just to sit with and pray, pray together and, and, and try and lock this in to say, no, we don't want it just to be a, a nice little thing. We want it to be demonstrated. So friends, I urge you to do that. Get someone to pray with you. I'd love to pray with you. Happy to. Um, do it while we're singing. Do it afterwards. Uh, let's be people who stay and people